Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Inking Out Loud podcast. Today, we're doing something a little bit different. Uh, I am by myself on this episode. There's no Rob with me, so uh, you're hearing a different voice for the intro. Uh, but with me is my uh, special guest and wife, Lauren McCaffrey. Lauren, how's it going? Pretty good. How's everybody else doing? Yeah, and uh, and of course, I am your host, Drew McCaffrey. This is episode 45 of the Inking Out Loud podcast, and today we are covering Wraith Squadron by Aaron Alston. This is a Star Wars Legends or Expanded Universe novel published uh, quite, quite a long time ago now, but one of my favorite books ever. And uh, Lauren just recently read it for the first time. Uh, Lauren, uh, talk to me about your experience with Star Wars. Okay, so when I was around five, my dad bought us those first, the main three movies. And we watched those pretty religiously. But that was all I knew of Star Wars until the next, you know, three movies came out. Mm -hmm. I hadn't read any of the books. Okay. So, so this is your first Expanded Universe novel? Yes. Okay. All right. So I'm obviously I'm coming from a very different perspective here. Uh, I grew up on Star Wars. Grew up on the expanded universe. I I mean, if you go and look at our <laughs> bookshelf, hiding behind all of our Wheel of Time books on our double uh, double thick shelf, uh, are about I don't know fifty or sixty expanded universe novels. <laughs> and these these books in particular, the X Wing books by Michael Stackpole and Aaron Alston, were some of my favorites. And uh, Race Squadron in particular uh, is, is one of my favorite creations from the old Expanded Universe, which is unfortunately now Legends, since Disney uh, took over in, I, I believe it was 2013 when they bought the rights. Um, I'm still holding out hope that eventually, <laughs> eventually we'll get some sort of resurrection of Wraith Squadron for the new canon. But for now, all we have are these books. So... To start things off, I want to just do a quick recap of what happens in this book. For anybody who maybe knows a little bit about the Expanded Universe and wants to check this out, or if you haven't read these books in a long, long time, because, well, that's kind of the reality of Star Wars now, uh, this book picks up right after the Bacta War, where Rogue Squadron had gone, well, rogue, and... Uh, resigned their commissions with the New Republic and went off to take down the old head of Imperial Intelligence named Asan Isard. So this picks up with them returning to the New Republic fold and Wedge Antilles, the commander, decides that he is going to found a new X-Wing squadron. And this time it's going to be a hybrid. It's going to be a combo of commandos and X-Wing pilots. But because of budget cuts and, and restraints and things like that, he is choosing to form his squadron mostly out of rejects and washouts and screw-ups. So he and Wes Jansen of uh, the nice shot Jansen fame from Empire Strikes Back are the uh, ranking officers in, in Wraith Squadron, and they end up, you know, training up a bunch of these washouts and rejects and things, and uh, they are now fighting uh, the Warlord Zinge, who's uh, kind of a... <laughs> cartoon villain in, in some ways, but in this book, he's uh, sort of on the sidelines, and their main enemy is Admiral Tridget and his Star Destroyer, the Implacable. 
and the Wraiths end up capturing one of Trigit's support ships uh, called Nightcaller. It's a Corellian Corvette or a blockade runner, if you remember what Princess Leia had at the beginning of the original Star Wars. So the Wraiths go undercover and act like they're working for Trigit, go along, uh, <laughs> have a whole bunch of adventures and hijinks and things, and then at the very end, they collaborate with Rogue Squadron and take out the Implacable and kill Admiral Trigit. So, uh, that said, <laughs> Lauren, what did you think of this book? Oh, man. <laughs> so, it was quite the introduction to the EU. Um, I found a lot of things were difficult just because I had no background. Um, I, I knew references if they involved things in the movies, such as, you know, I remember Luke talking to Wedge, right, in, in one scene. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, I remember what the ships look like, but I didn't have names for them at all. Oh. You had to, I remember in the beginning, you had to describe to me what each of, like, this is an X-Wing, this is a Y-Wing. <laughs> <laughs> this is like remember this scene in the movie yep that's this ship and i was like oh okay or um oh i didn't know names of species either right yeah yeah um and ooh, there's there's one insult they use in the book that i need to ask you again they call now i don't remember what it's called there, it's an insult where they call somebody a different species, like a something rat. A womp rat? Womp rat. Is that that little thing in the third movie? The little guy in... in oh, no, in Jabba's... You're in talking Jabba's about Salacious Crumb. He is a Kowakian monkey lizard. Ah, see? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. lots of stuff like that, where I, I definitely struggle, but... Okay. Uh, but but so beyond your your just kind of context of Star Wars and the expanded universe, what did you think of the book itself, the story and the characters and things? I really liked it. I thought it was definitely a character driven book. Um, I enjoyed getting to know a lot of these people more, and I still have questions that keep me like interested. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I So I've mentioned already a couple of times how much I love this book. And specifically, I love it for a couple of reasons. One is, as you said, you know, it, the character work in this is really, really good. Uh, Alston stands out among the old Expanded Universe writers, and honestly, the, the new Expanded Universe writers as well, um, in how effective he is with creating new characters and building compelling uh you know character arcs for them uh, and even his side characters are dynamic they're round they feel real um you know one of the major complaints that a lot of people had about the old expanded universe was how hit or miss the books were there are some infamously bad star wars books out there and of course, then there are some famously great Star Wars books. Everybody immediately goes to the Thrawn trilogy, uh, Timothy Zahn, which, uh, in a certain sense, Zahn saved Star Wars a couple of decades ago with those books where interest in Star Wars had waned, and he resurrected that and 
the EU was built off the strength of those books and the momentum from that gave us the prequels and now we are where we are now where Disney's cranking out Star Wars movies. But while so many people focus on Zahn, uh, I personally think Alston is a better writer and Alston's books are stronger even though they don't have the central focus, perhaps because they don't have the central focus on pre-made characters like Han and Leia and Luke and Chewbacca and people like that, the major players in Alston's books are his. They're, they're original, they're fun, he gets to play in his own sandbox instead of, you know, stuck in George Lucas's sandbox, so to speak. And the other thing that I love so much about the, the Race Squadron books and Alston's books in general is how well he writes action scenes. He does a really, really good job of uh, describing dogfights, uh, the space battles and things like that are always lots of fun. And, and this ties back to the characters because each of his pilots has such a distinct personality when they're in combat and they're in danger, you really get a feel and, and care for each of them in their specific situations, how they're going to handle things based on their strengths and weaknesses. Um, you know, it's just very well done, and he's he's a he's a good writer. I, I mean, it's it's tough to really pick up flaws in his books, especially in Race Squadron, which is a short, fast-paced, very tightly woven story, and just ultimately is a bunch of fun. Okay, so I'd love to go through the characters again. Okay, yeah. So obviously, Wedge Antilles is the the squadron captain. And he right. is, uh, from the movies, uh, he is one of the two pilots along with Biggs Darklighter who were acting as sort of protection for Luke. And Wedge gets hit and has to pull out of the trench. Okay, so is is Biggs Piggy? Which one's Piggy? Uh, Piggy's the big fat guy who crashes into the surface of the Death Star. Is who's he like, the... He's like, uh, I, I got it under control, I got it right under control. Right on target? Or... No, that's, that's right on different. target's Garvin Drace. He's different. Okay. Um, Piggy's the guy who gets hit and crashes into the surface of the Death Star all the way. They're saying, like, pull up, pull up. And His last like, name I... is Porkins. And he says, I can hold it, I can hold yeah, it. Yeah, and then he can't and he crashes. Okay. Yeah, his his name is Jack Porkins, and Piggy was his nickname because he was a big fat guy. I remember that. Um, I just was asking because they, so they make reference in this book um, mm -hmm. to him. And then they call Vort Sabinring Piggy. Right. And it's a sign of respect. Yes, and, and he's the Gamorrean. Right. Who's been uh, chemically and, and scientifically altered to be smarter and more well-mannered than normal Gamorreans. And I had to ask you about what a Gamorrean was, too. Right, and they're the, the green-skinned kind of pig guards in Jabba's palace. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then as I said earlier, Wes Jansen, he's the lieutenant. He was Wedge's um, gunner on the Battle of Hoth in Empire Strikes Back. He's the first one who takes down an AT-AT walker with the harpoon tow cable. Oh. And Wedge says, nice shot, Jansen. Oh, okay. Yeah, uh, and, and he's he's great. He's just a delight. He's hilarious. <laughs> um, and then, but but in, in this book, though, our main character really is Kel Tainer, who is an Alston original character. Uh, he's... His family's from Alderaan originally, but they were off-planet when it was destroyed. 
they they're hiding behind a new last name because his father uh, was a coward and basically brought dishonor to the family name as he was shot down by Wes Jansen years ago uh, because his his panic and cowardice in battle was going to uh, basically ruin uh, an ambush that Jansen's squadron had planned and had that happened, they all would have died. Yeah. So yeah. Jansen had to shoot him down. Um, but yeah, Kel's the main character, and then there's also Tyria, and, and she's, she's... Uh, a top Rawan uh, ranger, an Antarian ranger from Top Rawa, which in the old canon, this was erased by Rogue One. Uh, in the old canon, Top Rawa was the planet where the stolen Death Star plans were transferred to Princess Leia. And in Rogue One, they made that Scarif uh, in that big battle at the end of Rogue One. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So uh, Tyria is a pretty major character in this. Then there's Face Lauren, who's an old... Uh, he was a boy actor for the Empire and came to discover the error of his ways, defected to the Rebel Alliance, and now he's a pilot for the New Republic. Well, wait a minute. Did that kidnapping happen? Now I don't remember. He, he references mm -hmm. his scar. Yeah, so when he was still a child, the um, uh, a, a, an extremist rebel splinter faction kidnapped him and were going to kill him, but before they were going to kill him, they showed him all of this, like the truth of the Empire. But before they could kill him after that, Imperial commandos stormed their hideout and face was... Uh, grazed by a laser blast, so he has this big scar across his face. Uh, and, and he hid out after that because he didn't want to go back with the Imperials. And from there, he defected to the Rebel Alliance. Um, and then, of course, there's Grinder, who's the Bothan. And Bothans kind of are stereotyped in, in the Expanded Universe where they're all hackers and code slicers and things like that because the first time they're mentioned in canon, they were... That was what they were doing, and those are the many Bothans who died to get the second Death Star information to the Rebel Alliance in Return of the Jedi. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, and, and Grinder, so he's the, the big hacker in the squadron, and also a pretty big prankster. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I enjoyed that part of his character. That was, that was pretty fun, especially yeah. when he went too far and got mm -hmm. pranked back. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> such a great scene. Um, yeah, let's see who else. And then we have Jasmine Akbar, who is Admiral Akbar's niece. She's the communications specialist. And then there's Runt, who I love Runt. <laughs> I really do. Hilarious. He's basically a, a human with a horse head. Uh, I don't and, know if you picked up on that. And fur and hair. Yeah, he's he's like uh, like a human body covered in fur with a horse head. <laughs> um, <laughs> and he speaks in... He, he, Speaks in the third person, and he's got many different personalities. And <laughs> I love that. Yeah, especially uh, when they go rogue. His his personalities, like in in that first um, simulator flight, uh -huh. where <laughs> he just went off on his own and was like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and then we have Mindonos, who's a Corellian, like Wedge and like Han Solo, and he is a sniper, but his. He used to be the captain of a different squadron, Talon Squadron, and they were ambushed by Admiral Trigit's forces, and Donos was the only survivor, and he's got some pretty serious PTSD for most of this book. Well, which which is, I remember now, on screen, 
Yes, at the very beginning. Right. Mm-hmm. And and if I remember right, it had just his his squadron had just been formed. Yes. And then this happened. Yep. Uh, so he he's added to Wraith Squadron, and then there's Fallon Sand Skimmer, who's from Tatooine, and really 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 hates being compared to Luke Skywalker. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, th- I think those are pretty much all the principal principal actors in this book. I mean, there's Ton Fanon as well, who's the the Doctor. Um, he doesn't have a, a huge role in this book, but he's good friends with Face. Well, he, I mean, he's got a couple personal scenes, like in the, in the introduction when they all meet each other, and he's like, "I'm the one allergic to Bacta. Yeah. Notice all my." Hardware. Yeah, he's got a bunch of prosthetics and things. And, and then, then he, he, he sweet talks. Yeah, he sweet talks Tyria. Oh, I do want to talk about Tyria and being hit on. Sure. Well, well, let's get into our discussion of all of these characters. Then, do you want to start with Tyria? Sure. Sure. Okay. okay. So I am really, really interested in all of the backstory of her, her planet, her people. Because it's only lightly referenced, and I mm-hmm. would love to know everything, because they served the Jedi, right? The Antarian Rangers, yeah. They helped the Jedi during the Clone Wars. Yeah, I really, really want to know more. And she has a little bit of ability to use the Force. Yes. And you see that a couple of times, where she's like, I have a hunch. Like, this is a trap, they're leading us somewhere, or... And, and they'll ask her, like, why, why, why do you think that? And she's like, I don't know, I don't know. Yeah, although you're, you're getting a little ahead of yourself with that last part. That's something that happens in Solo Command. But, but she does have one moment in Race Squadron yes. where she's, she, she just pirates. has this, yeah, with the pirates um, on M2398. Uh, yeah, she, she has very, very limited force capacity. She has actually one of my favorite lines, or she's involved when, you know, she tells him she has just this little bit of force ability and faces like, you know what I would do? <laughs> no, 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 that's, that's Fanon. Uh, no, it, it, it was face. It was face. When he, he says I would like scratch that part in the middle of my back in, in the middle of like long missions. <laughs> and, and she's like, oh, go ahead make fun, you know? And <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, so she has a scene with Kel and they've only known each other for a very, very short time. And he goes, I'm in love with you. And she says, that's sweet. Um, but no, you're but not. But you're not actually in love with me because you don't know me. You're in love with the idea of me. Mm-hmm. And, oh my gosh, that hit home for me. I can't, really? Yes. <laughs> I can't tell you how many times I've been in a situation kind of like that. Mm-hmm. Where... Specifically, guys will say things like that, and I know they don't know me, hmm. and they think they do, or they have this picture that's not real. And I'm sure I'm not the only girl who's who's gone through that, but I love the way she addresses it. Like she's kind to him, she's not nasty, but she's like pretty ruthless. She's anyway. <laughs> well, she's realistic. She's like. You know, you you need to deal with this. And mm-hmm. and I love that Kel accepts it in the end. He's like, you were right. It wasn't you. I had this idea because of your looks, because of 
what I projected onto you. I wanted you to be my dream girl. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know you at all. Right. But later, you know, they actually do fall for each other. But I just, oh, yeah, that scene, I was like, Aaron Alston has <laughs> talked to somebody who has dealt with this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Tyria has the best response. Mm-hmm. I wish I'd read this sooner. I could have saved myself so much grief from like age 18 to, <laughs> <laughs> you know, when we met. Oh, wow. Yeah. So what do you think of Kel then? Uh, so I was kind of annoyed with him for a while. Just um, just because of A, his interaction with Tyria, mm-hmm. and B, his like... He comes across as very cocky in the beginning. Because he's so concerned about his scores and things like that? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So I was ready to dislike him. I really was. Hmm. And then, um, you know, he has that scene where he's very, very clearly dealing with some issues. And he does exactly what his dad was about to do and flies off. Leaves his... Oh, at the end. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And leaves everybody in the middle of a battle. Or like, he doesn't put them in danger the way his dad was right, right. going to. But he has, I don't know, would you call it an anxiety attack? I'm still debating that. Yeah, I think I would. Um, I, I don't think Kel is a coward. Uh, no. I don't think he's, no, he's like think his so. dad. I think he's just so locked up under the pressure and fear of repeating what his dad did and being a coward like his dad. That he has these anxiety attacks. Um, I think at one point Wedge even calls it out where he says it's it's not so much fear as a very strong case of performance anxiety. Yeah. Yeah. So. And, and I think he knew that that's what he was he could be getting from Kel after learning some of that backstory in the very mm-hmm. beginning. Right. Yeah, I like Kel as a character quite a lot in this book. Uh, and this is, you know, going back to what I said about how strong Alston's character work is, is that in in a book that it could be easy for Wedge Antilles to just take over. You know, he's yeah. a fan favorite, you know, for, this isn't your experience, but for readers who picked up the X-Wing books with Rogue Squadron and had read four books, they already know and love Wedge. And it would be easy for Wedge to distract from the rest of Race Squadron in this book. But Kel is such a strong character with such a compelling inner conflict and external conflict that he's the one who really carries this story forward. So while we do have a sort of episodic you know, plot line in this where they jump from mission to mission, there's a really strong through line of character development all based around Kel's struggle. And the, the culmination of that that you, you just mentioned where he is fleeing the battle... And then he has this internal sort of discussion and realizes, A, that he's not a coward, and B, why he's fighting, why he's doing what he's doing. He's not just there to, to like be the best pilot in the squadron or have the best scores. He's doing it because of those he loves. He's doing it for his family, and he's doing it for Tyria, and he's doing it for his squad mates. And it was that key moment when he realized you know if i'm flying off like this 
and somebody gets sent to bring me back or shoot me down, like, what happens if it's Tyria? Oh, what would and, that do to her? You know, and, and he and he realizes what kind of a toll his selfishness could take on the rest of the squadron. Uh, and, and he sort of pulls himself back in and he re-enters the engagement and, and flies really, really well, of course. So... Uh, although I, I do want to move on and, and I want to talk about face and I want to talk about grinder <laughs> because the other kind of main character line in this book is the, you know, built around the pranks. Right. And how early on, you know, there's like the dummy in the locker with the knife taped to its hand and things like that. And the, the like mechanical tube assembly that jumps out at Kel and, uh, okay. So you want to go into grinder. Yeah, and and face because he he kind of intersects with this. Grinder first. Sure. Okay, so this morning, <laughs> I re-listened to the books because I wanted to be fresh, and we realized that in the audiobook that I was listening to this morning, oh. they cut out all of Grinder's pranks. He has no character development at all in the Audible audiobook that's crazy and it really upset me because i was like i you know i don't remember everything as clearly but i wanted to go through it mm -hmm. and i managed to listen to it almost twice <laughs> this morning it was so short and it was so short because they it were was cutting so, things out exactly that's crazy and, I, and, I can't and believe I, they would do that oh and and it's extra insulting right because aaron alstrom is not alston Alston. <laughs> not not Alstrom. Is not <laughs> here to defend it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's that's so crazy to me how how many scenes you were saying they just either changed or didn't include in the book at all. Because So do not know. listen to it. Yeah, yeah. If you wanna reread this, actually reread it. I can vouch for the uh the ebook version. I have it on uh iBooks and it is the same as the physical book copy that I, you know, bought 20 years ago or whatever. Uh, uh, typos and all. <laughs> uh, but, but yeah, so anyway, with Grinder, um, you know, he, he did die in this book, so he didn't have a, you know, a really drawn out character arc or anything, but it was, it was fun being with him while we were because you know, he acts like he's not a prankster. He acts like pranks are so beneath him and, and how anybody who's doing that is childish and all of that. And then meanwhile, he's he's constantly trying to terrorize everybody else in the squadron. And then he runs into the, the pro prankster in Face. And basically because of an accident, Face figures out that it's Grinder, and absolutely destroys Grinder, like <laughs> mentally and psychologically, like... With, Gaslighting. Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Making Grinder think he's going crazy and all this stuff and oh that that whole sequence with the the glass prowler and the crystal deceiver, the oh fake version of it. I love that they put oh. that in the computer. They went to the lengths where they put <laughs> all of the information in the computer and were like, "Well, there's this grass glass prowler that is harmless, and then there's the the deceiver, which could kill you." Which is extra dangerous and to mammalian species like Vothans. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
And, oh. Like, makes him think he's going nuts, and they're all, you know, pretending. Mm-hmm. And then Grinder faints. <laughs> oh. But yeah, uh, moving on from Grinder though, I want to move to Donos and Fallon, and and maybe this kind of what segues. About face? Well, because Face doesn't really grow too much in this book. He his main thing was just the the anti prank. Okay, I do have one comment on Face. Okay, so I maybe would not have put an actor into a squadron like this. I mean, you need communications, sniper, sure. Um, part Jedi, not part, but like some ability in the force. You've got all these other skills. Actor is not one I would have considered, but in the book, he is so integral to them being able to yeah. go through their missions. And I didn't think about it that way <laughs> until he pulls off, you know, pretending to be... Darillion. Darillion. Yeah. And he does it so well, and there are so many times where he almost gets caught, mm-hmm. and he's he distracts. <laughs> yeah, he's he's really good at obfuscation. He, I, I mean, it makes sense to bring in an actor for a squadron like this because he's he's your spy. He's the one who's gonna get you undercover and things like that. Yeah, but I I picture more infiltration skills, and and <laughs> his acting skills are enough. Mm-hmm. It's it's fun. It's just fun. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so going back to Grinder and sort of segueing to Fallon and Donos, um, I wanted to ask you at least straight away, did you think Grinder had a thing for Fallon? Maybe. So there isn't a whole lot of really overt stuff in the book, but I think there's enough subtext to it, especially during that final battle with Implacable, that makes me think Grinder was really interested in Fallon. Because, you know, when when Fallon gets hung up inside the Star Destroyer... Oh, yes. And Grinder yes. insists on staying with her and insists on trying to help her out and dies because of that. Yeah. It, yeah. it seemed sort of out of character for him unless he had this interest in Fallon. Even though it wasn't necessarily explored. Because Donos is the more important character, you know, and... and his struggle with his PTSD and overcoming it, and then starting to fall for Fallon, um, you know, when when he start sort of became capable of having emotions oh, and, and acting on emotions, guy. and then of course he loses her, and that gives us one of the best lines in the whole book. You know, the one for Fallon, two for Talon, and he and he oh. kills Admiral Tridget. Um, yeah. And the other two interceptors, they were interceptors, right? Yes, uh, the Trigit's guards who are taken down by uh, General Crespin. Okay. The yeah. A-wing pilot. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. I remember thinking when Fallon lost consciousness in one of those missions where they're trying to get the uh, the the, the Tie Fighters on the Storm Tie Fighters. All. Yeah. yeah. I remember him being overly concerned compared to the rest of the pilots. Or at mm-hmm. least there was a scene or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I I liked, you know, it, it's crazy how much, you know, how much character development there is packed in, even with these sort of minor characters in such a short book. You were saying, you know, even though some things were chopped out, this is only like a three or four hour audiobook. 
and no, the, it's and only way... like maybe 280, 300 yeah. pages. Yeah. So it's broken up into four parts, and each part is like 46 minutes. So I listened to it twice overall. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, there is one character that we haven't discussed yet that we at least need to mention, and that is Ketch. Oh, I forgot he was introduced here, because that's cut out too, by the way. What? Yeah. Oh my gosh, that's awful. Catch yes. is so important in, in Iron Fist books. and Solo Command. Oh my gosh. That is a crime. Whoever did those audiobooks for Audible needs to be fired. So the one thing I did like, I mean, the narrator was great. He really was. He he had great accents for Runt and Piggy and um, uh, Ak, the both Akbars, you know. But, oh, I should add that there are also sound effects and music. So each time they go into battle, there's that battle music from the, mu- from wow. the movies. And at the very beginning, there's that intro music. <laughs> and then they have sound effects for blasters. And for, um, you know, the warning signals and like the klaxons, yeah. the klaxons. Yeah. So hmm. they have all those things and it's nice, but it's a crime to omit what they did. Yeah. I can't believe they did that. Man. It just made the book feel flat. And I was like, am I misremembering? Mm-hmm. What? <laughs> yeah. Cause Lieutenant Ketch, you know, on the, on the topic of pranks, <laughs> It's Jansen's first prank in this when he he's going through the the list of candidates for the squadron and he tells Wedge, you know, next up is is Lieutenant Ketch or not Lieutenant Ketch, just just Ketch at this point. And uh, you know he's an Ewok and Wedge is like, please tell me you're kidding. And Jansen's like, of course I'm kidding. The next candidate's Keltaner, human human male. Like, <laughs> oh, that's after Fort where he's like. Uh, no, so it's before, before Piggy, because then he he introduces Piggy, and Wedge is like, you got me the first time, I'm not going to fall for it the second time. <laughs> and Jansen's like, I'm telling you, he's a Gamorrean. And Wedge is like, uh-huh, sure, show him in. He's like, okay. And he opens the door, and a Gamorrean walks in. <laughs> and, and then, you know, Wedge Wedge like puts his head over his face again, and Jansen's like, yub yub, Commander. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I totally forgot that. Oh, it's great. But but Piggy Piggy also has an interesting backstory. I love that he so mm-hmm. he escapes with help. Yes. From the experimentation facility run by the Empire. And then he goes to the library world. What's that called? Obroa Sky. Of course you know. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so he goes to the library world and he's like he starts doing research and he learns about the rebels mm-hmm. and is like that's where i need to be i'm going yeah and then has a series of minor conflicts with people who are racist yeah xenophobic xenophobic <laughs> and um oh his comment in the interview in the initial interview about <laughs> he's like look at the timestamps on the reports they've all been within a couple of minutes of the altercation trust me Nobody I've struck has been coherent within 30 minutes of the yes. event occurring. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Yeah, I love that. And yeah. he's, he's just so straightforward and contrite. Mm-hmm. 
you know, he, he doesn't come across as having a whole lot of personality in the beginning. Right. But I think he's worried about how they're going to see him because all of his experiences in the past have been, you know, upsetting. Right. <laughs> we'll say upsetting. Mm-hmm. And then Wedge handles it really well by bringing in Jack Porkins, the original piggy, and yeah. making him yeah. feel comfortable. Yeah. So I really only have one more character to talk about, and that is Garapetafel. Ooh, okay. Because she is going to be pretty important going forward in the next couple of books here. And she is the Imperial Naval Lieutenant who uh, went undercover as an intelligence agent into the New Republic and betrayed Donos' squadron. And she was basically the cause for his squadron being destroyed. And we see her a couple of times over the course of this book. We don't get a ton of, you know, page time with her, but we do have, like, maybe four or five points of view. And even in just those four or five points of view, she changes quite a bit, going from being pretty callous and cold-hearted to, at the end, betraying Admiral Tridget because she feels he betrayed all of his loyal crew. And, you know, he does something that's a pretty standard you know, imperial evil thing to do. You know, he says the, the ship's going down and we're going to take as many rebels with us as we can, blah, blah, blah. And she says, you know, no, that is, that is wrong. There are 35,000 people on this ship. Mm-hmm. And, and how many, you know, how many imperials that we see in the trilogy and, and elsewhere in the books, like wouldn't even bat an eye at that. They'd be like, of course, we're loyal sons and daughters of the empire, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, but to her, that's a betrayal. It's not honorable. And that honor is something that means a lot to her, which is interesting coming from a spy. You know, she was originally in Imperial Intelligence. Yeah. I mean, part of that's, right, her parents. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's another thing that is not in the audiobook, is any of her points of view until the last one. What the heck? <laughs> Oh my gosh. I know, it's bad. It's bad. But yeah, um, looking at her, her final point of view and her not only telling the entire ship that they're going down and that it's under self-destruct, but also communicating with the rebels and saying, you want Tridget? There he is. There he is. <laughs> Go yeah. get him. Yeah. I liked that. And then, of course, she goes undercover at the end. She masquerades as a... An unwilling, drugged mistress of Trigets, so she's rescued by the the New Republic. Which she was ready for. I love that she has, A, a fake mole and a wig, and she's like, here we go, put on a new outfit. (laughs) New identity, got my identification right here, all my papers, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, She's very efficient as a spy. Well, as a communications officer, I didn't even know she was a lieutenant, I just saw her as... And, you know, brilliant in in that field. Mm -hmm. Because she intercepts everything. Yeah, she's the data analyst, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, she does a great job. Unfortunately. So, are there any other characters you want to talk about that we haven't touched on? (sighs) Ton Fanon isn't really developed here, right? No, he gets a lot more in the next book. Um, who else? I guess, Vort. Oh, uh, you know, we (laughs) haven't talked about Runt a whole lot. I, I mean, th- I feel like there isn't too much with him after that initial training sequence. 
just him sort of developing his his minds and getting control over them. Because he never gets any points of view or anything like that. That's true. He's just sort of Kel's wingman. Yeah. I, I do love the idea of having a species who has many minds and is it's so foreign. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to think of yourself. He's, he's the one they assign to like writing letters back to the spouses and loved ones of the crew of Nightcaller <laughs> after they cap- capture it because he can like switch minds and, and mindsets and things like that and try to mimic their voices. Well, there's also that scene where, um, so he blames his pilot mind and then the next mission, uh, he has his study mind, the student mind, yeah. the student mind who studies for all the tests. Yep. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So, um, just uh, let's let's just do some concluding thoughts here about the book and as a whole. Oh man. So I wish I had more background going into it just to know all the ships and the maneuvers and I don't know, just little stuff in the battles. I I would get distracted. Hmm. Because I'm trying to remember what Okay, what is that ship? What does a Corellian Corvette look like? I don't remember. Okay, Star Interceptor? TIE Interceptor. TIE Interceptor. I got that one. But that was difficult for me in the combat scenes. But the characters were not. Mm -hmm. I enjoyed that. Yeah, so for me, rereading this book, you know, this is the first time I've touched this in a few years, and it was a joy to come back to. I mean, I, I love these characters. I love Alston's writing so much. His humor is all over the place. <laughs> he finds a really good balance between, you know, drama and action and humor throughout this book. And, I mean, reading it now after getting, you know, a degree in writing and, and writing books of my own, and instead of reading it like a, a teenager or a little kid, just, you know, marveling at the coolness of star wars now i'm reading it with a a different kind of perspective i'm sort of mining it for ideas and and lessons to learn in my own writing and i really think the character work here is the biggest strength of it and it's the the main thing to take away how efficiently he builds round dynamic characters from from major to minor in such a tight place it's really really impressive um but but yeah i I don't think i really have too much else do you want to move into the final draft sure okay uh what have uh, you been drinking so i have been drinking prankster from north coast brewing um it is a belgian style golden ale and obviously is a throwback to grinder. <laughs> <laughs> it's um it's definitely got those Belgian yeasts, which are pretty distinct. Okay. It's a seven point six ABV. It's very, very drinkable. Mm, very nice. Yeah. I I didn't you, you drank it so fast I didn't have a chance to try a sip of it. But. I know, I'm sorry. <laughs> Uh, but for myself, I am drinking a, a sour ale. It is uh, a wine barrel aged kind of wild ale 
from Springdale Barrel Room by Jack's Abbey, which is a, a Massachusetts brewery. Really, really good stuff. I've never had any sours from them before. I've had some of their stouts. Their uh, their Framing Hammer series is really, really good. And and I'll say, you know, this is also really good. Uh, it's a, what is this, 6.2%. Yeah, sour beer aged in red wine barrels. And it is, as you would expect, you know, from a, an oak-aged beer. It's really dry, really oaky. Um, the, the red wine notes come through strong. I mean, when I opened this up, I got a whiff and it just smelled like red wine. But as you drink it more, especially as it warmed up, the, the beer came out and, uh, and it was, I don't know, it's really good. Just a delightful, dry, oaky American wild ale. And so this is my shout out to the, the Wraiths as a whole. An eclectic bunch. We got a bunch of different species. You know, we got some humans. We got Mon Calamari. We got a Bothan. We got a a, a Thakwa, which is Runt. We got a Gamorian. You know, it's it's a fun group of people, and they are all wraiths. And this beer is called Ghost Species. I like that. Yeah. So that is, uh, I think, uh, the end of our discussion for Race Squadron. It was a pretty pretty short and sweet episode this time around. Yeah, I mean short book, but it is. Yeah, it is. It's also a lot, you know, a lot quicker when there's only two of us instead of like three or four as we normally have. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, that said, um, this has been episode forty five of the Inking Out Loud podcast, and you know next week we will be going back to our Wheel of Time episodes. We'll be diving straight into the first half of A Crown of Swords. By Robert Jordan, which is book seven. And in the meantime, you know, if you appreciate what we're doing with this, if you want to support us, check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash inkingoutloud. Uh, all of our Patreon proceeds are going toward Pat and Danny, our you know, sound engineer and artist. They really are the, the cogs that make this thing run. Without, you know, without them, we would be lost as a podcast, and we really want to be able to pay them what they deserve for all their hard work. And that Patreon allows us to do that, and you know, and to pay for things like our website hosting and our podcast podcast hosting, things like that. So check that out. We got a bunch of fun benefits, like short episodes. We do a monthly newsletter. You can get access to episodes early. So yeah, that's Patreon.com/slash/inkingoutloud. And as always, I am your host, Drew McCaffrey. With me is my special guest, Lauren McCaffrey. Thanks for joining us. And uh, thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time.